Welcome to the G3 Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. I'm here with Dr. Josh Bice. How are you doing, Josh? Doing fine, man. How about yourself? Good, good. I can't complain about much. I'm excited about this show that we're going to bring to you, this podcast episode. Uh, it's going to be amazing. It's something that uh, usually when we talk about the topic gets a lot of attention uh, due to, I think, the controversial nature uh, of the subject. But at the same time, uh, it, it's with a, a level and a depth of seriousness that I think it's important to come to these these uh, discussions. Uh, so, so with that, we're, we're going to be talking about kind of the egalitarian debate. I think if, if we were to give this particular episode a title, uh, it would be Rick Warren, Beth Moore, Grapes and More. Yeah. What, what do you think about that title? I, I like the title. Do you yeah, like the title? I think it works. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's 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 along the the same lines as like a Puritan title. Right, 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 right. right. And there's more to the there's more to the conversation. conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we're going to dive into that. Cannot wait uh, to to bring up the subjects, walk through the different pieces. We've got a just a fantastic show prepared for you. Before we do that, I do, because I know when we get started, we're just going to be running. I do want to invite you uh, to the G3 Conference, the National G3 Conference 2023. Uh, I, we want you to be there. It, the, the conference is on the sovereignty of God. You will not want to miss this conference. Every day uh, as we prepare and get things ready uh, for this conference, we, we, we kind of grow in our excitement level. Uh, when I look at the list of speakers right now, we've kind of, we've got 20. There's really more than what we actually have posted. Uh, but, and so I've, I've got to get up to speed and get, the, get that working. But we've got Dr. Vody Bauckham, uh, Dr. Stephen Lawson, uh, Brother Paul Washer, Phil Johnson, Dr. James White, Mike Riccardi, Justin Peters, Ken Ham, uh, Dr. Owen Strand, Dr. Josh Bice. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. And again, like I said, we we, we only have a, a handful of, of all of the folks that we actually have teed up for this. This will be an event that you will not want to miss. And given just the nature of culture, what we're seeing uh, going on uh, around us, it's imperative that Bible believers gather together and really experience a clear understanding of the sovereignty of God uh, for our day and time. So don't miss it. Go to g3men.org, get registered as soon as possible, because I, I, I don't want to say that we'll have to at some point tell people we're reaching a top, like we're yeah. reaching a... Uh, but, but we really are. Though. We really are. If 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 you've if you've been one who's waited, uh, maybe till the last month or so to get things in order, do not wait. Uh, you may be disappointed. Uh, so definitely get your tickets. Go to g3men.org. Join us September twenty first through the twenty third, twenty twenty three here in Atlanta. We can't wait to see you. Well, it's with that, uh, Josh. I'm gonna I'm gonna toss things to you. Uh, and let you kind of tee up our conversation. Rick Warren, Beth Moore, Grapes and More. Yeah. What say you? Well, as we look at the topic, you know, obviously over the last, you know, decade or more, we've been seeing an increase, an uptick, if you will, in what we might call an egalitarian push within some of the most conservative circles within evangelicalism, and even specifically the Southern Baptist Convention. And when you look at what that means historically, you see, you know, all sorts of strange things happening. You see all sorts of strange movements that are posturing themselves within evangelical circles. In recent years, we've seen that take place on a couple of different levels. Um, we, we've seen some indicators that this is coming our way, obviously. Um, if you survey the Southern Baptist Convention and you look at the top five churches or so, 
you're going to see Saddleback Church there, Rick yep. Warren. Yep. And again, you know, just if you look at, at what he's done historically, obviously the whole, you know, seeker-sensitive church growth movement, he's at the heart and the center of that entire thing. Right. But um, in the last number of years, uh, he's caught the attention of evangelicals because he ordained women to the office of pastor in right. the life of his church. Right. And then beyond that, um, you know, just within a couple of years after that, he announces his retirement plan, and then he hands off the baton to his church, mm-hmm. and he does so to a co-pastor team, right. a husband and a wife. Right. Andy and Stacy Wood. Yeah. yeah, and so now what you have at this point is you have you know, all sorts of conversations that are happening mm-hmm. and at, at various levels. Mm-hmm. And so then the Southern Baptist Convention was tasked with the charge of determining whether or not Saddleback had somehow, you know, gone over the line within the Southern Baptist circles. And they came back after a 12-month process only to... Only to fumble the ball. Say that they could not make a decision, right? Right, right. right. So it it took them six additional months Mm -hmm. before they could actually come to the point where they would say... Uh, we believe that Saddleback has now crossed the line, and so we're going to have to disfellowship Saddleback from the SBC. Right. Well, again, that's caused a lot of ripple effects, sure. and conversations yeah. are happening. And so even recently what we see is we see that Rick Warren has signaled mm-hmm. that he's planning to appeal this mm-hmm. decision mm-hmm at this upcoming Southern Baptist Convention in June. And so, again, a a lot of questions to be asked and answered on this very topic, and I think the moment is critical within evangelical circles, and we're going to see that play its way out over the course of the next few months. Yeah, let let me unpack the timeline a little bit that you kind of laid out. It It was May of 2021 when Warren signals uh, with the ordination of, of the women uh, there at his church, three women uh, who were ordained. June 2021, the Credentials Committee gets a barrage of, of all of the questions about that. We need to disfellowship him. That's kind of what, what, what began to transpire. Uh, I mean, the, the May, June is, is as you know, the, the convention. So they get all that feedback. They hear all of the noise. It, it is a buzz at the convention that year. Um, they gather the information only to take 12 months. Really, they had more than that, but 12 months to come back in June of 2022. And, and, and you know, we, we watched it from afar. And then, of course, because of the fact that the SBC is so large, right, 40 plus thousand churches, some 14 million members on, on, on the books, um, it, it made waves throughout the country. So everybody's beginning to ask the question, you know, how 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 is this egalitarian issue? How how is the role of women going to change? And and one of the most conservative evangelical circles, the Southern Baptist Convention, they come back. The Credentials Committee says we we can't tell whether the uh, Baptist faith and message is actually clear. My response to that, and and I know we talked about it a little bit here, was. Isn't the Bible clear? Yeah, absolutely. Like, isn't, yeah. isn't the Bible clear enough about this issue? And uh, that, that, you know, whatever the BF&M says, uh, we, ought to, we ought to be able to amplify that by what, what Scripture says related to this. So they come back and fumble the ball, absolutely fumble, only to, only to have the follow-up, like you said, six months later. And here we are. It was February when they finally made their decision. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And again, to that point, is historically the problem with the Southern Baptist Convention is— 
that the SBC has really caved on the issue of sufficiency of Scripture. Now, again, the Baptist faith and message, the governing documents of the SBC, again, important thing to consider. Um, But again, those documents and that statement in and of itself was crafted in such a way as to to really uh, allow for there to be this Big Ten approach right. to you know evangelicalism right. and, and Baptist life in general. You know, so let, let me let me interject and ask you this: I, I recognize we, I mean, having been in Southern Baptist circles, I think we recognize that the Big Ten approach initially, or maybe primarily, and you correct me if I'm wrong on this, was was aimed at the issue of soteriology. Right. It was the idea that, you know, if, if, if Calvinists were there, if, if, if what are being called traditionalists are there, uh, we can all we can all agree that the Baptist faith and message would, would work. Was that ever the case as it relates to uh, women preachers or women in, in the pulpit? Or do you are you aware of anything like yeah, that? No, no, it, it was never really intended to be um, a, a broad sort of gate for, you know, various types of churches on the subject of egalitarianism. Right. Um, it was intended to be more of a broad, large tent approach to say the the worship of a church okay. and in various other uh, you know aspects of ministry philosophy got it got it, got it. Um, but not necessarily on the issue of egalitarianism got it, got it. that's helpful and so uh, when you look at where we are now you're seeing you know again the SBC goes through years of a bloody war on the conservative resurgence which was really the issue of inerrancy right but because the SBC has never taken a firm position on biblical sufficiency mm-hmm. then where you end up is you end up in this very moment right, right. And, and it's a critical moment and it will have a ripple effect beyond the SBC as you mentioned just yeah. because of the size Absolutely. of this convention right and so here recently there were a couple of interviews that that we have seen that have been published by Russell Moore, who is now serving as the editor-in-chief with Christianity Today. And and again, I have some backstory with Russell Moore. He was my professor at Mm, Southern Seminary. In fact, when I moved there to Louisville, Kentucky, the very first semester that I was there, um, I took him for a systematic theology class mm-hmm. and then again for an elective course that summer gotcha. on the Southern Baptist Convention where my eyes were really opened at that point that summer as I was then making a commitment to go to the SBC, the annual meeting every year as a pastor mm-hmm. of a Southern Baptist Church. I thought, you know, I need to do this. I need to, you know, I need to be up to speed with what's happening in the life of the SBC. I need to hear the conversations. I need to go to the meetings. I need to be in the room. And so I was doing that. He encouraged that, by the way. Wow. And um, as I remember sitting in those classes and hearing him and, of course, learning about the history of the conservative resurgence, Mm -hmm. it was it was an important time for me personally. Yeah. But since those days, Russell Moore has obviously gone from the dean of the School of Theology at Southern Seminary wow. to, you know, the ERLC right. and, and now to exiting the SBC and going on to Christianity Today. Right. And, and now he continues this podcast, but he releases these two episodes. Really, I think we need to consider the reality of where we are right. and, and the strategic plan of these interviews. Absolutely. Because he's interviewing key personalities and talking about key topics mm-hmm. at a at a very crucial time 
right now. Absolutely. As the SBC is gearing up for the next convention convention and everything's happening, he's still very much influential within the SBC circles. As is Beth Moore. Absolutely. As is Rick Warren. Absolutely. Right. And so this was not just an accident. Right. This was on purpose. Absolutely. But he does interview Rick Warren, and I want to play just a couple of the clips. I think it would be really good for us to interact with what he says That's what, great. and what uh, specifically Rick Warren is stating and how he came to the conclusion of basically holding to an egalitarian position. Got it. And so let's listen to these clips yeah. and let's try to respond and understand what's happening here. Well, here's the thing. I believe the church at its best was the church at its birth. And honestly, I have to say this. I wasn't planning on talking about this with you, Russell, but first, I understand why people get upset about this because I believed the way they did until three years ago. Mm. And I actually had to change because of scripture. Culture could not change me on this issue. Antidotes could not change me on this issue. Pressure from other people would not change me on this issue. What changed me was when I came to confrontation with four scriptures nobody ever talked about that I felt had strong implications about women in ministry, and nobody had ever shown it to me. I knew the Titus passage. I knew the the Timothy passage. I knew 1 Corinthians, and and every time people say, why don't you have women pastors? They say, show me a verse. You give me one verse, you know, I'll, I'll consider it. Because I'm a Bible guy. I can't just say, well, everybody's doing it. Or I've been to 165 countries and I've seen churches of 30, 40, 50,000 people led by a senior pastor who's a woman. Uh, That's not enough for me. Mm -hmm. I have to have a biblical basis. So we'll just stop there with the first clip. So as we as we hear Rick Warren make these statements, Virgil, he says culture could not change him. Right. He says that he's a Bible guy. Right. And so he had to be convinced according to Scripture. The problem with that is that the Scripture actually doesn't teach his position. Right. And so he's actually moving with culture rather than having an anchor in the Bible that says, I refuse to go the direction that culture is saying that I need to go. Right. And so he actually contradicts himself. Yeah. His actions do. Yeah. And so, again, to, to say that he was convinced to ordain women to the office of pastor and to hand off his church to a co-pastor team of a husband and a wife was, was a decision that he made based upon the conclusions that he came to from the Word of God, is actually to misuse the Bible. And so we need to see that. We need to hear that. Because, again, I think he's saying uh, something, he's signaling something there as he says, I could not be convinced according to culture. Right, right. Again, that's that's a problematic statement. I want to jump into that particular challenge or, or, or statement that he made could not be convinced by culture. The, the, the timeline of what's happening in culture just absolutely destroys uh, that argument. It was in 2018 that the, that the, that the resurgence of the Me Too movement took place with uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh uh, and, and the Supreme Court, his Supreme Court nomination. You had that big movement. In 2019, early on, uh, you had the big, uh, the, the, the issue of, with Southern Baptist 
Baptist as it relates to sexual abuse. So that that hits in February, and they've got to deal with that in the convention in June of that year. Um, all of that is, is kind of happening all at the same time. We're, we're witnessing wokeism explode uh, as it relates to issues of social justice uh, and like all during this time. And then it's, and it's not until, even after all of that, it's not until May of 2021 that he actually makes the decision to put these women into into those positions. So not only not only is culture influencing him, it, it's it's he's actually checked the winds of culture, put his finger in the air, noticed where the winds are blowing, and by 2021 he decides late in the game, but but motivated in large part by what's happened in culture, to make the decision that he's made now in 2021. As a pastor for however long he's been, he finally found four texts of scripture that nobody has ever talked about that open up the door for women pastors. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. and again, how he comes to the conclusion based upon these scriptures is quite troubling because he's not using proper hermeneutics to do this. And Russell Moore should know better. Yeah. In fact, I believe he he does in, in the sense of understanding biblical hermeneutics. Right and the way that we interpret the Bible. But nevertheless, we're going to hear Rip Warren continue with his explanation here. Listen to what he says. Now, Baptists, Southern Baptists like to call ourselves Great Commission Baptists. Mm-hmm. And we claim that we believe the Great Commission is for everybody. Both men and women are to fulfill the Great Commission. Well, not really you don't believe that, because it says there are four verbs in the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Women are to go. Women are to make disciples. Women are to baptize. And women are to teach, not just men. Now, this is one of the reasons why Saddleback has baptized more people than any church in American history. 57,000 adult baptisms in 43 years. Why? Because in our church, if you win them to Christ, you get to baptize them. So if a mom wants to baptize her child or a wife wants to baptize her husband that she led to Christ, anybody can baptize anybody they led to Christ. 57,000 baptisms. It's the liberation, the emancipation of every member as a minister that truly we believe in the priesthood of the priest most of the time instead of the priesthood of the believer. All right, let's just stop there. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm not really impressed by his resume. Right, and, and I I know he loves to talk about how many do that. how many people they've baptized, how many people they've trained yeah, in seminary schools, and yeah. compared to seminary and schools. So I'm not really impressed by that. Uh, but what I would say is that when he's using the Great Commission text from Matthew 28, uh, 18 to 20, and then he's suggesting that. Everyone is called to go, and everyone is called to make disciples, to make disciples right. and everyone's called to teach, right. and everyone's called to baptize. Right. I think he's, he's, he's misrepresenting what Jesus is actually saying, and then obviously, if you just interpret the Bible within its proper context, right. you will be able to see that, yes, he's speaking to women in terms of the Great Commission. Women are actually to go, and they are to make disciples as right. well. Right. But when he's speaking this, he's also speaking to the apostles mm-hmm. and those who would be given the charge of overseeing the early church in Jerusalem. Right. He's also speaking to those individuals who would then be training up pastors mm-hmm for the very office of elder. Mm -hmm. And so 
we have to make a distinction between a sermon on the Lord's Day and sharing about the resurrection of Jesus at Starbucks. Right. There right. is a difference. Right, absolutely. Right. And so, uh, again, we just have to see it as such. Right. Like Jesus uh, has given the Great Commission to his church. Right. But as we read the New Testament, we also see qualifications for elders right. and for deacons right. and for the offices of the local church. Right. And to just say, well, it's open to anyone on the basis of the Great Commission, well, then that means that we need to have the 11-year-old that we baptized recently in the life of the church. Right. We need to have that 11-year-old then you know, become an elder in the life of the church as well. It's, it's, the, it's the height of, 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 of a pragmatic approach to ignore a church office, yeah. right? You, you, you're saying, hey, this this thing we've been doing, it, it seems to be working where we're baptizing and women are able to. So why don't we just thinking that that's going to be the next thing to grow your church? It's like it's like the next church growth movement. I, I got to go back to something that bothers me every time I listen to Rick Warren, and that is just the, the bragging about numbers. I mean, especially as it relates to something you had no control over. You have absolutely no control over what happens in the heart of an individual as it's transformed from, from stone to flesh, as God does the work uh, of salvation in the heart of an individual. Unless you don't see it that way. Right. <laughs> That's insane. I mean, to, to, to say, oh, we, we've got 57,000 baptisms at our church, that we've baptized more in our church than, than any other church in America. I, I would, the, the lack of humility that that expresses is absolutely mind blowing, uh, and he did the same kind of thing at the at the Southern Baptist Convention uh, when he got up to talk about you know how many people they've they've trained more than any of the any, any of the other SBC seminaries combined and those kinds of things. I just think where where's the humility? Where, where you could even you could even I mean you could even have a, a false humility would be better than this it, it, to say hey by God's grace. We were able to see this take yeah. place, something, but that's just not there. But what this is, is it's indicative of pragmatism at the heart of his ministry. Because if he was humble about this, it would be, well, this is what God has done. Absolutely. And, you know, we're going to submit ourselves to the Word of God, and we're going to trust God for the for the results. Mm-hmm. But instead, he sees it differently. And so pragmatism says, if it works, do it. And he's saying, because it worked, yeah. it must be Right. right. Yeah. And and of yeah. course that's a backwards approach. Yeah. It's a very dangerous approach. Absolutely. Un- unbelievable. The the other thing that he did at the at the very beginning of his of his statement and and these are these are pastorisms. The church at its best is the church at its birth. Th- those kinds of statements, I mean that that's that 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 harkens me back to to kind of kind of black church, right? <laughs> where, where where black church is real strong on homiletics, yeah. right? The, the rhyming words, these things that get said, but but real weak on hermeneutics. And and so so and again, that's not all black churches. Yeah. I don't want everybody to shoot at me, but but that, you know, my experience has been that that that's traditionally the case, and and, and that that works for for Rick Warren. That's a that's a pastorism, yeah. right? He didn't anchor that in scripture. The church yeah. at its best, well, is would, the church I, at its birth. I would and, actually argue that it's. That, that that's not true. That's I not would a true too. Statement. Absolutely. Um, in fact, we see the church becoming far more organized. Yes. We see the church becoming far more, uh, you know, intentional about ministry and caring for widows and, right. and, and and preaching the gospel and the offices organized, the deacons serving, the elders leading. We see that taking place 
as we continue to read to the right in the New Testament Absolutely. beyond Acts. Absolutely. And again, uh, again, that statement is it, it might preach, but it might right. not be proper. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and, and there, there's a reason for the other other books. There's a reason for the progression of, of of you know progressive revelation. There's a reason for for how the church gets organized. There's a reason for for these things. And and to again, I, I know that the purpose of making the statement. Was was to anchor a, a real a real flimsy hermeneutic, yeah. uh, as as he's going to attempt to do in the book of Acts. But, but again, if you'll think about even with this latest Asbury revival, right. again that's where people are pointing us again, right? They're they're pointing us backwards. Right. They're saying, well, we need to get back to the Acts two church, right. right? Right. And then who was also a part of that whole scenario? Rick Warren. Right. 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 So right. this all makes sense. It does. But again, he's being consistent with his positions, right. and I think he's being led by pragmatism. But he goes further than the Great Commission text. He also uh, goes to Pentecost right. as well. So let's hear what he says here as it pertains to the upper room and, again, what happens with the coming of the Holy Spirit. I had to repent when I actually looked at the Great Commission. Mm. I had to say, it's not just for ordained men. It's for everybody. The second thing that changed my mind was the day of Pentecost. Two things happened on that day. We know the first day of the church, the church is its birth, is the church at its best. On that day in, at Pentecost, we know women were in the upper room. We know women were filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We know that women were preaching in languages that other people couldn't hear to a mixed audience. We know women. It wasn't just men. Women were preaching on the day of Pentecost. How do we know that? Because Peter felt obligated to explain it. Hmm. And so in Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 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 17 and 18, he goes, hey, guys, these people aren't drunk. What you're seeing was foretold by Joel. It was going to happen. And he said, so he explains why you're now seeing women preaching. Okay, let's just stop there. <laughs> There's a whole lot to unpack there here, uh, but let's just be clear about something. Yes, uh, the the women were a part of the Great Commission. Sure. Um, again, Jesus is commissioning his people to go out and to make disciples. Women are actually called to make disciples. Absolutely. Okay, um, and that's a good thing. It is. But as I stated earlier, there is a difference between a Lord's Day sermon right. or an official sermon right. and then, again, something that's happening in terms of, say, just general evangelism right. or sitting at Starbucks or sitting in the break room at work and having a conversation. Right. So here you have the Holy Spirit comes upon the individuals in the upper room. They go out into the streets. Pentecost was causing the streets of Jerusalem to swell and to bulge because of the celebration. So people were coming from outskirts of the city into the city. They were bringing their animals there. They were engaging in the market. Market, uh, you know, there was all sorts of things happening right. at the day of Pentecost, and so this was strategic and it was planned by God yeah. on purpose. Mm-hmm. And so this was the strategic moment that God planned to send the Spirit upon the people who would then go out and they would begin to to preach yeah. the gospel and yeah. to teach the gospel and to share the gospel. Right. But there is a difference. Right. 
between preaching a sermon officially in the capacity of, say, like an elder in the church on a Lord's Day, as opposed to standing in a in a community setting on the side of the road right. and sharing the gospel with someone. Right. There is a difference between the two. And the problem here is that Rick Warren and Russell Moore allows him to do this, is he conflates the two. Yeah. And doesn't even ask him a question during the whole, like he, I, I watched his, I watched Moore's facial expression. Like he, he, he was deadpan. Uh, he allowed this poor hermeneutic and he knows better yeah. to be unpacked right there in front of him, lays no challenge to it whatsoever and allows it just to go on, on you know, on, out, out to his audience uh, in that way. I, I completely agree with you. There's, there's a difference between a, a, a lay person sharing the message of the gospel with a passerby and someone holding the office uh, of, 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 of elder yeah. in a church. Yeah. yeah, but if you want to go further and press this issue, when the 120 go out onto the side of the road and they start mingling with the people and they're sharing the gospel and it caused a great stir, well, then what you have at that point is you have Peter who then engages in an official sermon. Absolutely. And he says, hey, I want everyone's attention. Yes. And then he causes everyone to listen. And he engages in what we would call biblical preaching. Absolutely. He actually takes texts of Scripture, he expounds them, he gives illustration, he applies it to his his audience mm-hmm. in a pointed way, yep. and he heralds the truth. Right. But what you don't see is you don't see one of the women, you don't see Mary or someone else that's standing up at Pentecost giving this sermon. No, it's Peter, who is the leader of the band of the apostles, who's actually standing there and heralding the truth. Right. in an official capacity. But even then, that's still not the Lord's Day sermon, and it's not the office of elder either. Right. Here, here's the other piece that I thought about as I listened to him unpack that. Again, he used his his pastorism, the church at its best is the church at its birth. I'm, I'm wondering if he would use that same uh, hermeneutic, poor hermeneutic as, as it stands, as a, as a, a, a template for tongue speaking. Yeah. Right. Because that's what was happening in that space at that time. Well, he almost alludes to it. Right. Because he says women were speaking in other languages. Languages, Right. To the people that were on the street. But but he's not advancing that cause. Right. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, given the nature of his hermeneutic, that would that would easily follow in the context of Baptist circles as a result of following this first step uh, into in in a wrong direction. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so many things happening here in this interview that are troublesome, but again, it's on purpose. Rick Warren has signaled here in this interview that he would like to consider, you know, going back to the SBC and to appeal this decision. And so we'll see how that plays out. But again, this was a strategic interview. It was on purpose. Mm -hmm. And Russell Moore knows what he's doing. And this is a very important moment for Southern Baptists and for evangelicals as a whole. It is. It is. And when I, I, we talked about the numbers, the size and scope, and one of the reasons why uh, the SBC, what happens at the SBC convention is important, why it gets covered by mass media, not many religious events, uh, churches as, as it pertains to denominations, get the coverage that the SBC convention does by all news outlets. It's because of the large number of people that are impacted by the decisions 
decisions that are made there. Um, you know, the, the, the conservative resurgence comes into play, and, and what we get from that is the outgrowth of, of conservative politics. Uh, people recognize, the media recognizes, uh, that where we stand politically has a lot to do with what we believe theologically. Yeah. Um, that theology is, is the trump card. It's, it's actually what informs us as we go to make decisions about voting. Uh, so w- as we witness culture and embrace wokeism, uh, embrace the, the, a feminist movement in every way, shape, and form, the, the light bulbs are on. What is, what's the SBC going to do on this issue yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the impact that that will have on 14 million plus followers yeah. uh, in the SBC on the rest of, of the country? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's very important. And again, people need to be paying attention. Pastors need to know what's happening. They need to be talking to their churches as well. But I can tell you, we have more to talk about in this episode, and we're going to go to I know Beth we got more a ton next. to talk about. Yeah. But this is a great opportunity for us to say, if you're fed up with all of the goofiness, yeah. we have a really good network Absolutely. within the G3 Church network. Absolutely. I would love to just point you and your church to. It's a fellowship of pastors and churches. We meet monthly. We have wonderful conversations mm. here. We talk about ministry. We engage in church planting and projects together. It's a great network. It's the G3 Church Network. You can find out information on our website at g3men.org. And we also have some very important news regarding the conference coming up. Absolutely. We've got a lot of things happening uh, as it relates to the conference. And we, and it, alongside the uh, the church network, we plan on bringing in our or the folks that are connected with our church network. We want to inform you in very special and unique ways as to what's happening, what's going on, uh, not, not only in evangelicalism as a whole, but particularly to your local church. How can we inform you? How can we equip you and 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 and, and inform you in ways that are helpful uh, as you shepherd people at your local congregation? And so, uh, G three is is all about educating, encouraging, and equipping local church pastors for the glory of God. And so, we definitely want you to come be a part of the conference September twenty first through the twenty third uh, here in Atlanta. Join us all about the sovereignty of God. G three men Get connected. Get registered. Join us. You will not want to miss it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then the question becomes this. How did we arrive mm. at this historic moment? Yeah. Right? How did we arrive at this place uh, within evangelicalism and specifically the SBC mm-hmm. and beyond um, regarding egalitarianism? And I think if you just look back, you can see all sorts of different ways in which we've arrived at this point. And yeah. then to to be specific about the SBC, because I was a part of the Southern Baptist Convention for so long, yeah. and now, although not officially a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, um, I still know how these movements have been set up. Right. And if I look back, if I'm honest, Virgil, if I look back, I can see that things were being you know, put into place strategically for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a, a moment, you know, a number of years back where you could see Beth Moore and her ministry mm-hmm. and her popularity had mm-hmm. grown to such a level mm-hmm. that she literally became the face of Lifeway in right. many ways. Oh, absolutely. And so you could walk in a Lifeway and you would see all sorts of other publications. Again, they don't have the brick and mortar anymore right. in, in terms of their storefront options. But when they did, mm-hmm. you could walk into a Lifeway store mm-hmm. and you could see all sorts of other books there. But really, 
the attraction was Beth Moore. Absolutely. And so in terms of her publications, her Bible studies, her conferences, she became a massive force within the SBC. So post-conservative resurgence days, you know, when Adrian Rogers and Jerry Vines and all of these guys are starting to now hand the baton off to a new generation of Mm -hmm. leaders, Mm -hmm. you're starting to see individuals like, you know, Beth Moore's rise in popularity. I mean, she reached some 20 million ladies in the first 20 years of her ministry. And it's, it's astronomical in terms of the numbers. If you just evaluate the statistics, but as you look at, at who she is again, as an author, as, as a, you know, a Bible study teacher, teacher, a conference speaker, but also on that resume is preacher. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's very important to note mm-hmm. because there, there there came a point in Beth Moore's ministry where she went beyond just being a Bible study teacher right. to actually becoming a preacher who would accept invitations right. to preach on, on the Lord's yep. Day yep. on special occasions like Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like testing the waters, right. if you will. Right. Now, again, I could say so much about Beth Moore and, and you know, my concerns about her doctrinally, mm-hmm. my concerns about the way that she has handled the Word of God and mm-hmm. uh, faulty hermeneutics and right. all sorts of things. Right. I've written a couple of articles that are available there on the G3 platform uh, that originally were pinned on my own blog right. years ago. Right. Um, and again, I, I would point people to those articles. Didn't it shut down the G3 platform at some point? Yeah, One of those well, articles it, it, was, it was before that. Okay. So before we... Uh, migrated my blog onto right. the G3 platform. Right. I had written those articles when I was engaged in SBC politics. Right. But why the SBC should say no more to, to Beth, Beth Moore. Moore. Right. Um, and then, you know, again, there was another one, why your pastor should say no more to Beth Moore. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Those are helpful articles. Yeah, they but, really but again, are. in those articles, it wasn't so much an attack on her as a person. person. Right. It was, it was a response to what she was teaching. And if you're going to teach something, in fact, if you're going to say something like what we're saying here, mm-hmm. uh, if we can be you know, exposed as teaching something that's error, right. then by all means, right. then, then come at us with that. Yep. But the reality is, if you're teaching something or writing something in the public sphere, there should be an opportunity to engage that material. Yeah, absolutely. And here, that's what I was doing. Here, here, two things. One is, I, I totally hear you about that, and I'll start with this this portion as well. As as teachers, as as, as someone who has the opportunity from time to time to to speak into different places, uh, you know, whether it be in a in a in a uh, podcast, whether it be in a blog article, whether it be on a platform or a pulpit. Um, if, if I, if I miss something, I want to know that. Like I, I don't, I don't, I take very seriously handling the word of God. Uh, I, I, you know, if, if I'm doing something or I'm out there and I I have, have a question, I may come to you or Scott or, or some, or, or some, an elder here to say, am I thinking this rightly? Am I walking through this? Well, Uh, so if there's a critique, especially in the public sphere, I want to examine it to see, is it about, 
the subject matter that I've engaged in or, or is this a personal attack? If it's a personal attack, I just throw it away. But if it's something s- sincere and serious about something I've said, right. I want to I I honestly consider it. The, the other thing I want to mention that you talked about earlier a, a, as it relates to Beth Moore's popularity, and, and it was, I think it was, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it was the handoff, I think, uh, after J.D. Greer, or maybe even before that, that, that the conversations around Beth Moore as the president of the SBC yeah. – had really begun to kind of take a little bit of of of, of energy, yeah. Uh, and so I guess that the examination of where she's preaching, could she lead the SBC, not being a pastor, all those kinds of conversations. Yeah. In were fact, happening. that was 2018. Yeah, yeah. So we were gearing up at that point to uh, we, we were watching things, we were seeing things. Um, I was very much troubled by what I was seeing with regard to Russell Moore and his leadership in the ERLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the conference that they held, the MLK 50 conference yep, yep. that was hosted by officially by the ERLC, um, was a massive problem, mm-hmm. um, and and then again you know you had Beth Moore involved in that conference, mm-hmm. and so we were gearing up to gather in Dallas, Texas, for a meeting that I had personally arranged with a, a group of key leaders to just assess all of this to yeah. figure out what in the world is going on right. and how can we respond to this right. because this is a cancer this social justice movement that we're seeing interwoven within evangelical circles and the SBC is literally going to eat the church like a cancer so you saw that in 18 well i saw it before 18 but sure. it was 18 that we were organizing this meeting gotcha. and the meeting was organized for june which was basically the week just after the uh, the SBC, mm-hmm. and so um, so the SBC was in Dallas mm-hmm. in eighteen. Yep. So we came into Dallas, Texas, and all of the talk on social media that year was that issue. Yeah. In fact, it was JD Greer. It was other individuals uh, that were were asking the question: Can a woman mm-hmm. lead the Southern Baptist Convention? Right. And if you just just watched the social media conversations and followed the hashtags. Mm-hmm. The conversation was centered on really one figure, and it was Beth, Beth Moore. Moore. Yeah, and so again, all of this was in line with what you stated earlier: the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. the Church Too movement, right. abuse scandals, and all of this was was sort of a hot button moment, right? Where they could bring in what we call. Uh, the social justice machine, right. and use tools, analytical tools right. that would that would deconstruct the SBC. Absolutely, it would hurt the SBC. Right. And and again, um, coming into that meeting uh, in in Dallas, I wrote an article that was titled. Uh, this, so this was like May of 2018, mm-hmm. and it's available on the G3 platform as well. And it was titled "The SBC at the Intersection." Of intersectionality, I remember that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, when I when I wrote that article and published the article, I was seeing the you know the use of of you know godless ideologies yep. Yep. and intersectionality, critical race theory, all of these things, and so I could see how intersectionality would be a problem, yeah. and it would be used in such a way to hurt the SBC. So I wrote that article. A professor retweeted that, a professor in the SBC circles mm-hmm. retweets this article that I wrote from my Twitter. And, and when, they, when, they, when this individual did this, then Russell Moore was named in the article. Mm-hmm. So he took offense. Yep. 
And so then he contacts the provost at this seminary, mm-hmm. has this professor threatened. So then he removes the tweet and then sends me a personal explanation as to what well, was going on. Had, had and it. so at that point, it was it was crystal clear to me. Yeah. I knew that there was a massive agenda that yeah. was rolling through yeah. the SBC, and it had to be opposed. Yeah, when you when you see those kinds of moves happen behind the scenes, where you get the the private tweet, I had to remove this. You know, you're right. Your fingers actually on the very pulse it is. of the nonsense is. that is taking place. Yeah. And and for and for guys like you and me, it's like we want to push even harder. Yeah, at yeah. That well, point. specifically if there's cancer there. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so we needed to expose it. Yeah. But again, the the. The accusations back to me at that time was that I was exaggerating. Sure. I was wrong. Sure. Uh, I, I was falsely accusing the yeah. SBC yeah. and Russell Moore right. and so on and so well, forth. That, that's what was said all about social justice. So let's just stop there. That was May of 2018. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. June of 2019, one year later, what happened? The SBC, SBC. adopts a resolution... Yep. The infamous Resolution Nine, Nine on critical race theory and, inter- and intersectionality. Intersectionality. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, right. <laughs> right. but I am telling right. you that my finger was right on the. Yeah, you didn't nerve sleep center. at a Hampton Inn either. Yeah. You just yeah, you're that, good to that's go. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> but my finger was on the nerve center. Sure, I could see this coming. Yeah, and and it was a massive problem, and it continues to be so. So again, what is intersectionality? Intersectionality is is basically um, an ideology. It's a framework of thinking that was originally coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989, mm-hmm. and she's a radical feminist. Yep. And she uh, she was basically suggesting that this is a way in which you can come to the aid of oppressed individuals within a culture. Right. And so... Uh, the 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 language that she would use is if you're a woman, just as the the, the mere fact of you being a woman in America, you're oppressed. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. By default. Right. But if you happen to be a black woman in America, you're oppressed at two points of of oppression. Right. And and where the you know where that intersection happens, mm-hmm. you know, female, woman, and black ethnicity, that that intersection causes a greater uh, opportunity for oppression and to be a victim in the culture. But then she would go further and say, well, if you're a woman who happens to be black and you're a lesbian, Mm -hmm. now now there's three points of intersection. And then if you're a woman who is black and you're a lesbian and you happen to be maybe a leftist Muslim, right? Well, now you have all sorts of opportunities yep. to be a victim. Yep. And so uh, in, in Crenshaw's thinking was that intersectionality was a way to spotlight that, that oppression right. and to come to the aid of those individuals. Right. The problem is, is that it plays into this, this idea of victimhood status. Right. And, and, it, and it, in, in order for intersectionality to, to appropriately work, the way that Crenshaw and others in the social justice movement intend is you have to buy into systemic oppression and systemic injustice for it to work. And so I could see the way that all of this was rolling and it was going to be brought right into the SBC. And so that's exactly what happens. And so in 2018, right about that same time, 
Beth Moore also penned a letter that was basically a letter to my brothers. And this letter was basically her sharing her heart about how she was oppressed and how she was held back from advancement within evangelical circles, Mm -hmm. how she was in the room, but she was treated as if she wasn't in the room, how she was in the elevator and derogatory things were stated about her and so on and so forth. And so what is she doing? She's waving the victim flag Flag. right and she's she's attracting the tsunami of support that was coming through the culture and the sbc and so she was she was using this as a moment right right to really capture a whole lot of people as her base support to say i've been abused i've been a victim and you need to support me and women by the way need to be elevated to a place of leadership in the sbc and all sorts of things happened at that moment if you'll remember yep when beth moore wrote the letter Thabidion Yabwile writes a follow-up letter in response to Beth, mm-hmm. where he's saying basically the, the title of his article was An Apology to Beth Moore and My Sisters, mm-hmm. where he was apologizing to Beth Moore in the public sphere, mm-hmm. which again, what's that called? It's called a virtue signal. That's, absolutely. And then he's he's doing the very same thing. He's trying to gain support, signal to the culture, right. I'm the nice guy. Right. And by the way, uh, I want my sisters to know that I see you and you're not alone. Right. It was that sort of moment. Right. And so then from that point forward, you have all sorts of individuals. It's like a new wave of support for women empowerment Mm -hmm. started Mm -hmm. with this whole moment with Mm -hmm. Beth Moore and intersectionality and the cultural moment. And so it was after that moment when uh, we see a response to Beth Moore's article, we see Jen Wilkin, who is well-known within the SBC circles, within the Acts 29 network and Matt Chandler, and she tweets out, and this is what she said. She said, quote, As go our seminaries, so go our churches. It's past time for a full reevaluation of existing power structures and for the strategic implementation of formal channels of influence, input, leadership for women in the SBC. So if you hear that language, you should you you should hear that language of of empowerment and influence for women. Again, even at that time, you have Russell Moore, who was at that time, he was serving as the leader of the ERLC within the SBC. He tweets out and he said the following. He said, there would be no Southern Baptist Convention without Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. We desperately need a resurgence of women's voices and women's leadership and women's empowerment. Again, it is way past time. So if you hear that language, mm-hmm. you're hearing the same thing. It's women's empowerment. Yeah. And again, this idea of a resurgence of women's voices and leadership. But it was also J.D. Greer who himself engaged this, this moment with Beth Moore's article. And he tweeted out and said this. He said, thank you, Beth, hoping that we are entering a new era where we in the complementarian world take all the Word of God seriously, not just the parts about distinction of roles, but also the tearing down of all hierarchy and His gracious distribution of gifts to all His children, end quote. So do you hear that language? Absolutely. Women's empowerment, 
women's voices, a resurgence. And then here you have J.D. Greer saying, we need to tear down these hierarchies, these power structures, and we need to rethink how we approach women and their leadership in Southern Baptist life, specifically the complementarian world. So this is very important to chart out as we think about the tsunami that was taking place within the SBC at that critical moment with the influence of and the introduction of of intersectionality and the, the, the cultural moment that was used by these key leaders in the SBC. And that was back in 2018. Right. And that's why it is that we said we need to meet in Dallas, Texas, yep. and we need to push back against this. And from that meeting would come the, the statement on social justice and the gospel. gospel. Man, that's that's phenomenal. That, that's important for us to understand and know. I mean, in the language, as I, as I listen to it, because of the fact that we've, we've been trained with, with CRT and social justice, and I mean, you, you're hearing Derrida, you're hearing Foucault, you're hearing all the Marxian language, uh, you know, of social justice. I mean, all of that empowerment, tear down, restructure, you know, all of those kinds of ideas are laced, that language. And and, and here's the thing. They they always push back on when, when, you, when you identify um, that the language being used is very similar to the language that, that was used uh, in the days of, of critical theory, of, of, of social justice and the like. They, they push back on it. I, I, I don't, part of me thinks that, that it's the, the pushback is one that, you know, they don't want to acknowledge where the, where the language comes from. But the other may well be, and again, if thinking in the, in the kindest way, they may not realize how influenced they are by what's happening right. in culture mm-hmm. like they're 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 literally Im- imbibing that that language <clears throat> infusing it because they recognize that that kind of language uh is is what's applauded out there so they begin to adopt it use it and uh, and abandon scripture altogether because it's not really sufficient to deal with the current day issues uh and, and they leverage it in in their language there and it's it's unbelievable uh that that those kinds of things are said and done but at the same time not surprising when you recognize that that the SBC is rife with with pragmatism, with absolute pragmatism, and and that's what they're thinking. Oh, this is the language that works out there. So if it works out there, then guess what? Right. It must work in here. Right. And and that's and that's eventually what they end up doing and using. That's that's absolutely amazing. It is. And so again, back to you know Warren's statement that it wasn't culture that changed his mind. It was actually scripture. No. If you evaluate how culture has been moving everyone to the left, right. you can see that this is not a biblical march. No. This is a cultural movement. And so people have caved to the culture. Cultural movement and a cultural moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so now here we are. Uh, so that was 2018. We've gone through all sorts of, you know, you know, issues yep. and and debacles yep. and and what have you within yep. the SBC, and now both Russell Moore and Beth Moore have exited the SBC. Right. Okay. Right. But here's Russell Moore now having another conversation, not just with Rick Warren, but also with Beth Moore. Right. And in that conversation on Russell Moore's podcast, mm-hmm. which is hosted by Christianity Today. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they interact with, with some very important subject matter that I think is relevant to this conversation, and it was brought up about this issue of egalitarianism. Right. So let's just pick up in the conversation and hear what they have to say. You know, you know, you know that I have thoughts about this because we've talked about it quite a bit, but I'm 
when you just look out and you see in evangelical Christianity, uh, we're able to cooperate with different views on something the Bible talks about all the time, yes. baptism. Yes. We're able to cooperate over differences mm -hmm. on the Lord's Supper and church mm -hmm. government and so forth. But when it comes to differences, when it comes to women and men, in terms of what exactly how God has gifted us to do. There's this narrowing and narrowing yes. and narrowing and narrowing. And there's always a, a, a different group of people who are the, the heretics at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, we, we have to Absolutely. save a, a space on our little uh, boat here for Rick Warren now uh, yes. because of yes. this. Uh, why our, why our is poor that sinking case? boat our poor sinking boat Russ <laughs> it, it's it's just the worst we we're, every time somebody new gets on it we're like we're so sorry we're so <laughs> sorry we'll try to find something to laugh about no it's the truth it's the thing I I'd love to get to the bottom of that and uh, I don't I don't know how to explain why that is the thing that seems to be one of the biggest hang-ups of all. And you, as you said, you can disagree on a thousand other things. But one of the things I have said often, because I was raised in a very conservative um, part of evangelicalism. And now not as, I, when I got out in the larger world, I realized, whoa, there, there, there yeah. is stuff to the very far, far right of me. And I'm not talking mm -hmm. politically, I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about doctrinally and then yeah. just the way we practiced our faith. In other words, I taught Sunday school for mm -hmm. years, for 23 years. And, um, but one of the things that I say now that if you ask me, Beth, what would you say if you, you would hold people responsible for that? You feel like they really did, did unfairly um, in, in your segment of the body of Christ. And one of the things I would say is that we were taught pretty blatantly certain things as the only orthodox way to possibly interpret it. I mean, that, yeah. that was it. That was it. There was no other way to be sound in Scripture and no other way to, to have a high value of scripture than to hold this particular interpretation of these scriptures. And I said so many times, I have never presented not once being taught or teaching First Timothy 2, for instance. Never, mm -hmm. never, never. What I ended up, resenting is too strong a word, but just that complaining about my complaint back would be that instead of saying now these are the differing views now where are egalitarians getting this well right. they would be getting it for, we did that we did it with eschatology russell right sure i was yeah. taught in my bible doctrine class this was this was going to be in this was dispensationalism this was going to be amillennialist this was, all of these different views i was taught and then my doctrine teacher would say this is where i really land why mm -hmm. is it we could not do that with what why was it we had to say no no anyone that teaches any differently about women it is heresy and that's just that's just the bottom line. And it, I will be on Twitter talking about a ham sandwich. <laughs> I will be talking about buttermilk cornbread and some guy or, or grapes. 
grapes. And <laughs> someone will reply to me. They will give me First Timothy chapter 2 about women not teaching men. I'm going, am I teaching you anything? Am I? Let's just go ahead and cut it off. There is a... <laughs> There's almost too much to really to unpack there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, write, I'm writing notes as the, as we yeah. go, brother. Yeah, well, it's getting pretty pretty. One thing here. I would like to mention just at the beginning of the clip, you know, they they mentioned they're going to have to save a little room on their sinking boat, boat for right. Rick Warren. Right. Okay. Right. Meaning that, you know, Warren might just come over to their side of the fence. Sure. He might just leave the SBC and he might, you know, become an Anglican as well. Right. And and sort of you know so so they laugh about that a little bit sure, but then but, but, the, but even in they're doing that like it's poor pitiful me yeah our poor boat I mean yeah. it's just so little yeah, it's the and thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but but again um, at that point then you know Russell Moore he goes on to say you know he sets up everything by talking about the fact that you know uh, we can talk within evangelical circles right, right. and disagree and still work together right. You know, it, across the the border, if you will, on differences of opinion and right. positions baptism. on things such as baptism, sure. and church government, yep. and things yep. of that nature. But when it comes to this issue of women in ministry, right. it's taken to a whole different extreme in his mind. Right. right, right, and then Beth gets involved, and when she starts answering, she says the same sort of thing. You know, well, when it comes to eschatology, right. You know, we can have differences of opinion, sure, and we can work together right. and still respect one another. Right. But, but really, it it's taken to an extreme, even to like the charge of heresy uh, on the issues of women in ministry. Right. Now, one of the things I would like to point out in this clip is that, again, that that's the wrong way to look at it. Yep. Obviously, yep. okay, and 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 I'll explain. But but before I do that, I want to mention that. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but the word egalitarian actually came out yep. in Beth's statement. Yep. Okay. So that's important because when you get to, you know, the the issue that's swirling within the SBC, uh, you know, the positions that are being nuanced are not being called egalitarian. Right. They're not. Right. They're being called a certain form of complementarian. Right. Soft complementarian. Right. right. But they're they're not being called egalitarian. Now she 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 leaves the SBC mm-hmm. and suddenly she can use the E word. Right. Okay. Right. So I just want to point that out. All of that's important. Okay. But to the issue here, uh, when, when you hear them talking about the difference between baptism and you know church government, sure. like say our Presbyterian brothers, we in G3 historically from the very first G3 conference mm-hmm. have had Presbyterians preaching, right. conservative, godly, faithful Presbyterians preaching right. at the G3 conference. Uh, again, we can come together, we can get together and organize conferences and benefit Across the border, although we're not going to be members of the same local church, right. on issues of difference on baptism, right. the mode of baptism, or even church government, because I would say to my Presbyterian brothers that I think that they have some errors when it comes to church government. Right. I would say I think that there's some errors when it comes to the issue of you know, the mode of baptism right. and that sort of thing. But on this issue, this is... You know, you, you have faithful Presbyterians and faithful Reformed Baptists who are coming to the text of Scripture and they're trying to argue their position the very best they can from Scripture. But when it comes to the issue of women in ministry, 
and specifically an egalitarian approach, suggesting that, well, you know, that was just a cultural moment. Right. Paul was just talking to the church in his day. Right. He didn't really mean for that to be taken so seriously in, you know, in our, our own day. present day. Right. And so we need to have an updated approach to women in ministry today. That's not arguing from Scripture. No. That's applying the culture to the Word of God. Absolutely it is. So it's a faulty hermeneutic. Absolutely. And so we have to be crystal clear when we have these conversations. Absolutely. That this is all based upon a very bad approach to biblical interpretation. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that they're trying to do, though, is in their line of argumentation, is it, it's an effort to minimize proper biblical categories uh, and, and to blur the lines. Like, and, and they're taking their notes from culture. Uh, probably the clearest example of that is, is, the, is the line blur right now with gender, right? God created them male and female. Uh, if we took their hermeneutic approach to that particular issue, we'd say, well, you know, there's different thoughts about that. You know, I don't know why we can't all get along and, and come up with 90, 90 different genders, uh, depending upon how they feel that day. I mean, we can, we can get along and everything can be all right. No, God has said definitively he created them male and female. Right. We, we've just blurred. We, the culture's blurred the lines, and we can see that clearly. But it's on, the, on these issues when we get into church life and we want to ignore the biblical categories that God has set for how, we're, how women and men are to function in the church, that we want to ignore those ideas altogether. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I think that that's an important statement, Virgil, because we start to see the influence of mm-hmm. the, the culture and the trends of culture that really are, are causing people who should know better, yeah. who have been, you know, educated and and have some sort of skill in in handling the word of yes, god yes. to be able to say that they're they're being moved away from having an anchor in the text of scripture right. to saying which way is the wind blowing in the culture? And right. I want to make sure that I'm on the right side of history. Right. Actually, you're going to be on the wrong side of biblical history. Absolutely. If you continue to move in that direction. Yeah. And so this is critically important as we hear this and and to the grapes i was going to ask i was i was i, I wrote that down on my notes i'm like what's the so grapes was related to her being a female pastor was that what the yeah, issue was yeah no no she doesn't get a free pass on this <laughs> And Russell Moore brought it up. Yeah. Uh, so that and, means they, they were talking about this uh, issue. Apparently. But yeah. but here's the deal. She can talk about making ham sandwiches on her Twitter account all day long. Right. And women can benefit from, you know, the type of bread choices or whatever additives she wants to put on the ham sandwich. <laughs> and I'm sure that that's going to be a, a wonderful thing for women to glean from. Right, right, right. No problem at all there. Yes. She can get on Twitter and she can actually talk about Scripture. She can do that. She's free to do that. It's her Twitter account. Right. She can talk about buttermilk cornbread all she wants and how she prepares that recipe. Yes. People can benefit from that. Yes. She can talk about grapevines and growing grapes. She can do that on Twitter as well. But when she does that, yes. And she actually tweets about that and says that she has a crush on the Son of God. Right. And then people push back against it, which is exactly what I did. So for everyone that's listening to this episode and doesn't know the backstory, you could probably Google Josh Bice, Beth Moore, and Grapes, and you'll probably see the whole thread exchange <laughs> because it became very, very strange. It did very quickly. Uh, because I pushed back against the whole issue of her uh, blaspheming in many ways, mm-hmm. the very doctrine of Christ mm-hmm. and the Son of God. Like, we don't talk about the the second person of the Godhead 
with that type of language. Right. We talk about him in a in a spirit of reverence and awe. He is God and we worship him right. as God. Right. And so to to just flippantly say that, you know, we are, you know, have a crush on the Son of God is is very sloppy at best and it's blasphemous at worst. Absolutely. And and so when I pushed back, there was an exchange there that happened with a lot of people that resulted in her suggesting that, well, you know, uh, I guess a lot of people aren't going to get my grape jelly right. this year for so, Christmas. So you're not you're not going to get a grape jelly? Well someone in our church <laughs> saw that. And so the next evening on right. Wednesday, right. they brought me an early Christmas present. Okay, okay. So and got, it was grape jelly. You got your grape jelly. You're yeah. good to go. Yeah. And so then I tweeted that out, <laughs> and that's when things got really odd. See, now you're being messy. Yeah. yeah. So so Beth, <laughs> Beth Moore responds to me, and she wants to push back against my position. Sure. And then she started this whole line of, you know, like pushing me into a corner, so to speak, and trying to trap me. And she said, um, well, I love you, Josh. Do you love me? Yeah. Yes or no? Nah, question that's, mark. That, that's that's twelfth. That's second grade stuff. And so it started to get really odd. Uncomfortable. So when I refused to just say, I'm using love the way that you're using it in just a generic statement. Sure. Uh, a lot of people got very angry with me. Yeah. Including Beth. And so that caused me to write an article explaining uh, do I love Beth more, yes or no? Right. And I had to explain the different categories of right, love. Right. And by the way, one of the clearest definitions and indicators that you love someone is to be able to uh, expose them and to respond to them, to correct them when they're in error. Mm. So to allow someone to sit in error in a position that is dangerous, right. like having a crush on the Son of God right. and to say nothing about it, right. Would be for me to not to, to show a, a lack of care for an right, individual, right? right. So and when, you, when you when you mentioned the exposure piece, what you're dealing with is is the nature of, of where it was placed, right? Absolutely. Uh, you you definitely want to cover those who who are dealing with issues in in a, in a pastoral way, but but this was public. She's got millions of people, yeah, following. Her, her, you know, her line of thinking, her line of reasoning, and doctrinal statements, and and, and you cannot in those spaces and places be sloppy like right, that. absolutely, and that was my whole point. Yeah. And so, to the grapes, you can talk about grapes and ham sandwiches and cornbread, right? And you can do all of that. And First Timothy chapter two is not going to come up at all, right? First Timothy two comes up when you start talking about the the office and the function of the office of elder. Right. And that's the issue. Absolutely. Not cornbread, Absolutely. not ham sandwiches, right, right. and not grapes. But the whole point of that conversation is to blur lines anyway. Absolutely. All, all of it is, is to blur categories, to say, hey, there's there's really no categories. We should all, just, again, I, I, I call it my Rodney King theology. Can't we all just get along? I'm, <laughs> I'm dating myself by saying that, you know, but 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 yeah, Rodney King, hey, can't we all just get along? It's the idea that, that, there, that there was never a, a, a Protestant Reformation where we protested against what the, the Roman Catholic Church was trying to mandate. We, we, we come from that. that. That's the stock we come from. Yeah. And, and so we've got to re be reminded of that from time to time. And this, this instance where, again, I, you know, with, with regard to the issue of, of women pastors, Scripture is absolutely clear. And, and the Bible knows nothing of, of a female pastor. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's vacant on that issue. And so we've got to be clear about that. We've got to know that and, and stand on, on that scriptural yeah, truth. Yeah, absolutely. Again, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, these biblical texts are, are not 
like an afterthought. Uh, it is it is placed in the scriptures at a very specific place in scripture and in the revelation and in the growth of the early church on purpose. Right. And so, you know, as Rick Warren was suggesting that, you know, the Great Commission text and the Pentecost moment in Acts chapter 2, mm-hmm was somehow to be laid over the top of 1 Timothy 3 and right. 1 Timothy 2 and right. Titus 1 right. would be to actually take Scripture and pit Scripture against Scripture. Right. And you don't do that. No, absolutely And not. so the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word, Word of God. God. Right. And so it's not man's opinion. Right. And it's not whether or not you know something worked for you, right. as Rick Warren has suggested. Right. 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 And so we need to just be honest. What does the Bible say? And what does the Bible say about the local church? Mm-hmm. What does the Bible say about the offices of the local church? What does the Bible say about how the church should be discipled? And who is responsible for teaching and preaching? What is a sermon? Right. What does it mean to preach? Right. What does it mean to be an elder or a pastor? And so, again, we need to see that. We need to understand that. And we need to build our theology on the pages of Holy of Scripture. Scripture. Absolutely. I think the last text that he engaged in was like, uh, I think it was John chapter 20, where, where Mary Magdalene and, and the ladies go to the tomb. They get the news that that Christ is risen, and yeah. they, they run back and tell tell the disciples. Uh, and, and he used that as an example to say, well, see, they were teaching the, the, the apostles. Yeah. And so as a result of that, then... That then the first Christian sermon was delivered by a woman. Right, right. And again, you have to ask yourself, what is a sermon? <laughs> right. What does it mean to preach? Right. And is that different in terms of announcing something that's factual? Right. Like delivering a news report. Mm-hmm. Is that the same as preaching a sermon? And right. then, you know, I, I, again, to that point, Virgil, I would just say, as we study preaching, I'm very passionate about preaching yeah. and about, you know, the the proper definitions of preaching. Yes, you are. But as we think about that very statement that Rick Warren made, we need to make sure that we evaluate that properly and then respond critically. Yeah, he's, because, got, a, he's got a low view of what it means to preach if that's again, the case. Again, if that's the case— yeah. Then that means that the that the average news anchor on the local news right. at five o'clock in the evening right. in your town right. is doing the same thing that your pastor's doing right. on on the Lord's day. The Lord's day, yeah. and that's not true. Yeah, absolutely. Those things have got to be made absolutely clear, and I, I think it's important for us to 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 talk through those things, for us to understand those things, and 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 then like we've done in this in this episode to engage what's being said uh, because theology matters. These issues are important, and as as we roll into uh, what's about to be the next SBC convention, uh, this is going to be massive. Yeah. Uh, all of this was a signal. I'm, I'm I'm trying to finish up an article now that I hope is published by by, uh, by the end of the week uh, on this issue, and I, I the the title of it is is a tsunami warning for the SBC. Uh, all of it has everything to do with with the things we've talked about in this space, and I kind of take a, a, a different tact on the on the, just the timeline of history, going back and kind of kind of my view from from the MLK fifty event and walk through kind of wokeism. And you you had you had two things happening at about the same time uh, with the with the woke issue, and and, and I, I say that really kind of to Vody's book, there are two fault lines, uh, if you will, that really collide. You had the issue of of uh, uh, sexual abuse with women. 
And then on the other end of that, you had Resolution 9 mm. all happening at the same time in the same space. Uh, and, and it made for an absolute explosion. And following usually earthquakes, and I called that a, that a theological earthquake, if you will, the denominational earthquake, that we spent two years talking through both both issues around social justice and, and issues around Resolution 9, uh, critical race theory, as well as the egalitarian issue and, and it, it, the encroachment of egalitarianism uh, on the SBC. As, you, as we had the two-year conversation about that 2020 with COVID, 2021, where we meet again, Rick Warren now is on the floor of, of the SBC convention making his case uh, for his church not to be disfellowshipped. And if, if we think by any stretch of the imagination uh, that we're going to walk into the, the, the conversation uh, in 2023, uh, I said 2021, I meant 2022. Uh, well, they, they came back and, and, and had that conversation in 2022. Uh, if we think in, in this next year with the SBC convention that it's going to be, you know, a, a nothing burger, we're, 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 we're missing it. We're missing it. I, I really do think conversations like the one that we've just had are important. This is important for people to digest. I know we unpacked a ton of stuff uh, in, the, in our time together, but it's, it's important for people to, to digest and think through. Josh, as we begin to wrap things up, man, do you have any last thoughts or things that you want to leave uh, the, the listeners with? Yeah, I think that a lot of times people you know <coughs> that have followed you know the G3 ministries and, of course, you know our own positions on social justice and the gospel and the statement on social justice and the gospel and and then our exit as a local church from the SBC, they, they automatically think that I'm just completely against the SBC or that I don't see any benefit whatsoever in the, the SBC. That's right. not exactly true. Right. Um, we still have within the G3 Church Network pastors who are serving SBC churches that are also aligned with us uh, in the G3 Church Network. Mm -hmm. So I see value in the SBC because of what we talked about in this conversation, because of the the massive numbers, yep. uh, the, the sheer amount of people that are influenced by this denomination. Mm -hmm. So I'm not against the SBC. Right. I'm not praying for, you know, for God's judgment upon the SBC. Whether or not the judgment of God has fallen upon the SBC, that, that conversation could be had. Right. And I think we see indicators that God's not blessing the convention in many ways. And there's all sorts of, you know, uh, decline that we see on various levels. But what I would say is that um, as you go into this SBC, if you're a pastor, as you're planning to go into the SBC this year, I would encourage you to go in with your eyes wide open. That's good. Uh, I would encourage you to go in listening to the language from the platform. Be in the room when you can be in the room in various places. Listen to the leaders and the type of vocabulary that they're employing. And just watch the trends and see what's happening. Um Again, I would also urge you to think in terms of whether or not you feel that it's a violation of your conscience and the, the, you know, the, the financial support of your local church, if that's in some way a violation. I would encourage you to think about separating from the SBC. You don't have to do ministry within the SBC in order to complete the Great Commission or to engage in Christian education. Yeah. So I would just encourage people to think that there, uh, you know, there are other opportunities yeah. outside of the SBC networks, and and if you would like to have those conversations, we can have those conversations here with G three Ministries. But I do believe that the SBC matters. I do think that there are still good pastors 
good churches, good professors, good missionaries that are connected to the SBC. But what happens over the next year or more really does matter. Yeah, I want to I want to ask you to comment on one other thing before before we depart because I I was looking at an article that that I'd written uh, where in you know with the uh, SBC convention uh, the conference that that was taking place uh, I think it was twenty twenty one where where I I said the culture is asking the question what is a woman. Uh, and the SBC is asking the question, what is a pastor? Mm. Um, it's with that, though, I think people can can leave this conversation believing that, that man, either G3, Josh Bice at least, uh, and, and Virgil by, by connection are against women uh, being effective in ministry in the church. Yeah. <clears throat> there was a there was a, a question you got asked in <clears throat> at the G3 uh, conference, the national conference in 2020, specifically about this issue. Um Role of women, where, where, how, what does that look like? Uh, how do how do we navigate having a conversation that's not simply what we're against, but what we're for? Mm. What, what would that look like or sound sound? Yeah, like? well, yeah. Uh, to your point, I think it would be a tragedy for us to just focus on what women can't do. Sure. But I think we should be having a conversation about what women are actually called to do. Absolutely. And I think women uh, being called to be a faithful wife, faithful mother, faithful grandmother. Um, a, a disciple maker within the life of the local church, someone who's engaged in making disciples and uh, doing what Titus chapter two teaches, yes. training the younger. I mean, again, all this is critically important. If a church is going to be a healthy church, it must have faithful, healthy women who are serving. Right. But if a church is going to be an unhealthy church, there are many paths to an unhealthy church, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the, the key ways you can do that is by attacking the pulpit right. and by attacking and bombing bombing the pulpit and, you know, having a role reversal in terms of leadership. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, you see the first role reversal when you see Eve who takes authority over Adam and she engages in a leadership that wasn't really given to her. And we see that Adam allowed that to happen. That was his failure. And so in the life of the local church, it's the same as well as the home, by the way, mm-hmm. is that God has established leadership in a very specific way. So for us to question, to think that we are somehow more intelligent than God right. on this issue, right. to say that there is a better way to do church yeah. today yeah. than the way that God has established it from the very beginning would be to make a catastrophic mistake. Absolutely. And we need to certainly go in, the, in a different direction. And the way that we go is that we anchor ourselves in the Word of God. Absolutely. And we refuse to apologize. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's with that that I would tell you we're excited that you had a chance to join us. We're hopeful that you were able to come uh, this far in our conversation. And it's with that I'm going to ask you to, to like, share, subscribe. Uh, definitely want you to be a part of what we're doing here at G3. If you if, it, uh, if God you know, puts it on your heart to connect with us in in way of uh, financial uh, resources, uh, we definitely want you to be praying for us. If you want to partner with us financially, you can go to g3men.org forward slash give uh, and and uh, show us your support there as well. Thanks again for this incredibly long, I'm sure it's probably, about, probably our longest episode so far. We had a lot of content to navigate through. Glad that you could join us. Tune in again next time for the G3 Podcast.